let's pray together, and let's even take a moment of silence, and uh, you pray and ask the Lord uh, to help you as we look into his word. Lord, it is good to, to be together. We thank you, our Father. Thank you for that great privilege through the cross of Christ our Lord, through his resurrection. As the scripture speaks that word, Abba, to us, Lord, we thank you, Father, that we can pray to you. And one of the petitions that you've taught us is that you would give us this day our daily bread. So, Lord, thank you that as we're gathered in this room, Lord, we, I doubt that many of us have gone hungry for any great length of time this week. We thank you for giving us our daily bread. Give us that daily bread today. And also we pray, Lord, that you would give us the bread from heaven that, that we read about in John chapter 6. Not the bread that Moses gave to our forefathers, but the true bread from heaven. Lord, give us that bread. Lord, help us today. As Pastor James has already prayed. Lord, maybe we came here this morning. Father, maybe by your grace we prepared ourselves and we are very ready and through prayer and through the study of Scripture, and maybe not. But Lord, wherever we are this morning, would you help us? Would you speak and, and use me, Lord? Use your word because it is your word. We pray that you would get glory for yourself through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. Help us as a church in every way needful. We are mindful of sister churches, like-minded churches. We are mindful of the church around the world doing well or the persecuted church. Lord, we are your people called Crossway Church of Goldsboro. Would you help us this morning? Thank you that we can Look forward to taking the Lord's Supper. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I have to say I'm very much looking forward to looking at this part of God's word with you this morning. I pray for his help for all of us. Would you help me uh, briefly and turn to Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 26. It says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just pause right there for the briefest of moments to remind you, if you were here last week, that this has been called what? It's been called the most important paragraph in the whole Bible. Most important paragraph in the Bible. So verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is no other name, friends. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This most important paragraph is not first of all about us. It says so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Now, very quickly, one or two more comments before we would move from this passage. The key word you may remember from last week that I used in verses 21 through 26 is the word gospel. How can a person be in the right with God? How can a person be accepted by God? How can a person be made right by God? I would just have you notice, I would just remind you of the end of verse 21. The end of verse 21 says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, which we might say the Old Testament, although we don't have the full revelation of the gospel in the Old Testament, at the very least, it certainly points forward to the full revelation of the gospel. Now turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now really, at the end of the day, you could say that this is a standalone sermon. This is a standalone sermon, but I would not be preaching this sermon to you this morning on Mephibosheth from 2 Samuel 9 if it weren't for what we've been doing. I don't think I would be sharing this with you this morning if it weren't for Romans chapter 3 and the gospel and the righteousness of God. So this sermon is a standalone as we, maybe particularly as we approach the Lord's table, as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, but it is inspired by what we see in Romans 3, 21 through 26. That God shows kindness, he shows kindness to the undeserving on account of another. Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel 9. Mephibosheth, we or image breaker. Who is this man with this funny name, Mephibosheth? He is a son of Jonathan who was granted special position and privilege in David's court. Jonathan was killed in battle when Mephibosheth was five years old. So this character, this man with the interesting name that we're talking about today, his daddy, his father Jonathan, was killed when he was only five years old. The story's interesting. We won't linger on this, but think about this background. Fearing that the Philistines would seek the life of the young boy, a nurse fled with him. But in her haste, she dropped him and crippled him in both feet. We read about that back in 2nd. Nurse was trying to flee after Jonathan, his dad, had been killed, and she drops him. And therefore, Mephibosheth, from this young age, from the age of five, he's lame. He is crippled. Well, we read the, uh, we read the story earlier but let's go back because you have not had the advantage that I've had of soaking in this a bit. And so let's just go back and let's walk through it for just a few minutes and let's just observe some basic things. The first thing that I want us to, to see there in 2 Samuel chapter 9 is this, is that David is poised to show kindness. David is poised and ready to show kindness, to show kindness to Saul's house. Notice this with me in verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul 
that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. What does it say there at the end of verse 1? It says that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. But before it says that, it simply says, and this is a key word, that I may show him kindness. Let me stop right there and give just a little bit of background, just a bare bones background here. At this point in the story, in, in God's story of God's great redemptive plan in Scripture, at this point, David is the rightful king. David is the rightful king, so in this passage, he is the king, the king, he is King David. His predecessor had been King Saul. Saul had preceded David, and Saul, 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 Saul saw David as a threat. Saul saw David as an enemy, although he didn't need to see him. If you know the story at all, and if you don't, that's okay, he didn't need to see him that way. David repeatedly acted in righteousness, but he saw David as a threat, as an enemy. And now David is the rightful king. And in this passage, we also hear about this man named Jonathan. Jonathan, you may know, was David's sole friend. He was a friend and oh, how we need to, with God's help, how we need to recover godly friendship today. And also godly friendship among men not to mention among everybody. We all need that. All of us need that. But Jonathan was David's sole friend. You can read about that in places like 1 Samuel chapter 20. And then we read about this man, Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. Notice it also says basically the same thing in verse 3. In verse 3, and the king said, who is that? Well, that again, that's King David. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? So the first thing that we notice, just, just making sure that we get the text in ourselves, is the first thing is this, David is poised to show kindness to Saul's house. He's ready. For some reason, it doesn't tell us right here in verse 1, but verse 1 breaks onto the scene, and he says, he's got this urge. I, I want to show kindness to somebody. I want to do kindness to somebody. I want to show God's kindness to somebody, particularly to Saul's house. Now, again, why is he doing this? The verse 1 doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes out of, very quickly, this David is a righteous man. He's a promise-keeping man. He's a faithful man. He's very imperfect, chapter 11. But David had made a covenant. He had taken a vow with both Saul, his enemy, and with Jonathan to maintain the house of Saul. So what David here is doing, he is being faithful. He is showing covenant loyalty to the word that he had sworn to Jonathan and to Saul. Well, the second thing that, he's, that we see in this passage, just noticing some very basic things, is the second thing we see is that this uh, a dude named Ziba helps David the king to locate somebody from Saul's house. Second thing that we see is a man named Ziba helps King David to do what he's very desirous to do, and that is to locate a possible recipient of kindness from Saul's house. Look at verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul 
whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. We're going to learn more about this man, or, or, or you would learn more about him if you read more in 2 Samuel. But all we need to know about him right now is he was probably one of Saul's main servants. Not just a lowest rung servant, but one of his main servants. And here he has to serve a new king. Verse 3. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Notice what it says. Ziba said to the king, There is one. Now there were actually others, but he but he pinpoints this one. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, verse 4, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. So, so far we've got David. We've been introduced to Jonathan, although he's dead at this point. The sole friend of David is Jonathan. We've got David and we've got Ziba. The third thing we notice in this passage is that David, as we are introduced to Mephibosheth, David tells him what he will do, and Mephibosheth abases himself. He humbles himself. Look at verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, and do you know the context, right? You know what's happened in the story thus far. So if we know what's happened thus far, in the middle of verse 6, does David say, Mephibosheth? Or does David say, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Look at the end of verse 6. Behold, I am your servant. It is very likely that Mephibosheth here is coming into the court of the king, the new king, the rightful king, God's man. In one sense, we might say, understanding who is the real true son of God, we might say the son of God, the king, God's man. It is very likely that Mephibosheth comes with much fear and trepidation because you see, you don't have to think very wildly in your imagination that when a new king comes who is of a different family line, what is the natural, normal, even in some ways the right thing to do? Well, the natural thing to do is to eliminate those of the previous king's family. Why? Because those of the previous king's family, especially if he considered you an enemy, they are a threat to your royalty, to your new kingdom. And so the normal thing to do would be to eradicate and perhaps that is very much what is on Mephibosheth's mind. I am going to bow down here, and I don't know, having bowed down, if I will be able to rise again. Perhaps my head will be severed from my body. And so he says, if we say in verse 6 that David said, remember the word, remember, kindness. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And he answered, I, I, am your, I am your servant. 
Now go back for just a second. Where had Mephibosheth been living? Well, we won't take a geography quiz because I wouldn't do better than you would do. Uh, as we see twice mentioned, he's living in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Basically, to make this plain for us, this is most likely, uh, he's living in this faraway geographically located place, most likely because he doesn't want to be near the new king. He's living far away in a place that literally means a place of nothingness. And here he comes. You are required to come before the king. Oh, and this is not going to be good. And he makes the journey. He makes the journey to the city of the king, to the courts of the king. And in verse 7, David said to him, do not fear. And as it has been pointed out, whenever stupendous and amazing promises, whenever even gospel promises are given in the Bible, it is often prefaced with these words, do not fear. More often than not, something good, something wonderful is about to be said when it's prefaced with those words, do not fear. Do not fear, Peter, Luke chapter 5. Even though, yes, you are a sinful man, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Lose every fear in your life except for one fear. Do not lose one fear. Let every other fear go. And you know how you can let every other fear go? Is to have that one fear, the fear of God. The fear of God. He says to him, David says to him, do not fear. This is crazy. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? David is poised to show kindness, friends, verses one and three. Beginning in verse 2, this man called Ziba helps David to locate someone from Saul's house, namely Mephibosheth. And then all the way through verse 8, we see that David tells Mephibosheth what he will do, and Mephibosheth, as I said, abases himself, which is to say he responds with gratitude and humility. Beginning in verse 9 is the aftermath. does not mean it's unimportant. That's not what I mean when I say the aftermath. Now look at it. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, Hey, Ziba, thanks for your help. Now I want you to listen. All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. Now, of course, David's the king. He doesn't mean the kingdom. He means Saul's probably personal lands, personal possessions. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. Maybe Ziba didn't like having to be the the servant for a, a crippled man. Doesn't matter. And shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table 
like one of the king's sons. And he had a young son, Ephibosheth did, whose name was Micah. David is keeping his promise that he would not eradicate the house of Saul, even his great-grandson. This was not normal. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So what do we say about this this morning? Look into God's word. Look at me if you would. What do we say about this? Dear friends, so far we've just wanted to make sure so far that we kind of get the flow, that we get the story. Just pointed out the most basic things. That, that David was, for some reason, which, which we know according to the context, he, he just had, he had ants in his pants. He was, I gotta, I gotta show kindness. I wanna show kindness to somebody from the house of Saul. And then we just noticed that Ziba came in and helped him. And David made these, this promise to Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth abased himself, and, and then we saw the aftermath. Let me make a few points. Listen to these. Let me, let me make these all together here for just a second. Let me just point out what's going on in this passage. And this is not super profound, but if you think about it, here's what's going on in this passage. He showed kindness to him. He showed kindness to him for the sake of another. The kindness that he showed him was lavish. And in and of himself, the recipient of this kindness was not worthy. Let me take those in turn for just a second. First of all, he showed kindness to him. That's the key word, right? You see it right there at the beginning in verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness. Verse 3. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God to him? That's something different right there in verse 3. In verse 3, it says what verse 1 doesn't say. It says the kindness of God. He's going to show the kindness of God to him. Uh, The king, God's man, would represent God, would represent the very character of God. He would perform, he would do the kindness of God. He would show kindness to him. This word kindness is translated in another place as steadfast love. Now get this, steadfast love. We are told that this word kindness, this is not just niceness. This is not just David being nice. This is covenant loyalty. This is faithfulness. It refers to extraordinary, extraordinary acts of kindness, meeting an extreme need outside the normal run of perceived duty arising from personal affection or pure goodness. David spoke, we are told, therefore, of surprising, unexpected kindness. One of the things I put on our website a year or two ago was from one of my favorite parables of all time. It's the parable that we find in Matthew 21 through 16. And from there, we learn in Matthew chapter 20, in Jesus' parable there, we learn not only one thing that we as a church embrace, which is that God is sovereign, but we also see in that parable that the grace of God is both sovereign and surprising. 
It is both sovereign and surprising. So we here in Goldsboro, Crossway Church of Goldsboro, joining with other like-minded brothers and sisters, we worship, we fear, we proclaim the God of all grace, the God of sovereign, surprising grace. You see, we're not familiar with his grace enough. We're so tuned to thinking that God's job is to forgive sinners. We think that God's title is forgiver in chief. But let me tell you today that the title of God is not forgiver of chief. His job is not merely to forgive sinners. In fact, Romans 3 tells us when it speaks to us of the gospel, it speaks to us about the righteousness of God, the righteousness. So we take his kindness for granted. We read 2 Samuel 9 about Mephibosheth and we say, well, that's who God is. And that is who God is. But if we would also read 2 Samuel chapter 8, we would see that David's reign, like his God, was a reign of justice and righteousness. God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is not David being nice. This is David being kind. And when we say David being kind, we are speaking of the steadfast love of the Lord. David showed kindness to him. He showed kindness to him for the sake of another. Do you see that? This is really important. He showed kindness to him, not for his own sake. Not for your sake are you saved. If you're here this morning as a believer, and if you're not, you need to repent of your sins and run to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross of Calvary for you if you will repent and believe. If you are a believer, it is not for your sake. How many times in the Old Testament does God say to Israel, not for your, not for your puny sakes, not for your sake, he says, but for the sake of my own glory. It is not for the sake in 2 Samuel chapter 9, do you hear me? It's not for the sake of the recipient. It is for the sake of another. He makes this abundantly clear. Whom, who is there that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? For the sake of Jonathan. He shows this man kindness, namely Jonathan's son, because he has entered into covenant loyalty with this man, namely Jonathan. And so for the sake of another, not for your sake, it doesn't mean that he looks at Mephibosheth as just completely worthless. God doesn't, we're made in the image of God. We're not completely worthless, but it's not for our sake. It is for the sake of another. For the sake of Jonathan, let me show kindness to somebody. For the sake of another, he showed him kindness. He showed him kindness for the sake of another. The kindness that he showed was lavish. So, Lest we miss the two little points that I've just made there. Number two, he showed him kindness for a sake of another. And number one, he showed him kindness. Just bring those two together. This kindness that he showed was no ordinary kindness. It was unexpected. It was lavish. It was undeserved. It would have been a kindness for him merely not to kill him. That would have been kindness enough. But not only does he not slice his head, 
when Mephibosheth bows down to pay homage to him, but he says, you, you, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. You're going to sit at my table when? Always. You will never leave my table. Everything that personally belonged to your grandfather Saul, you get it. You get, we might even say, you get righteousness credited to your account, although you bring nothing to the table. You get right standing with me, the king, although you have nothing to offer me, do you see? The kindness that he showed was lavish in and of himself. This recipient, who is the recipient? Mephibosheth. In and of himself, he wasn't worthy. Oh, David had dealt with lame people before. There had even been a proclamation made that the the lame, those exhibiting this obvious imperfection, would not be a part of the king's court. But here he welcomes this lame, crippled man. And we're reminded that all are made in the image of God. We're also reminded that all are sinners as he welcomes him in. Listen to what one man said. The promise of David to this potential enemy wonderfully anticipates the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.21, the gospel is revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Just for a minute, think about the parallels. Think about the parallels with me. Between David's kindness and the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says this, as David said, do not fear, to Mephibosheth in verse 7. Even so, the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the way, ladies, you've read about this a little bit in your book, Study. Think about these parallels between David's kindness to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9 and the gospel of Jesus Christ. As David promised kindness to Mephibosheth, even so the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared in Jesus Christ, Titus chapter 3. As David ensured that Mephibosheth did not lose out by becoming a servant of David, so Jesus said, anybody who comes and follows me. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. As David welcomed Mephibosheth to his table always, so Jesus said, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. What we are going to do this morning in the Lord's Supper anticipates something greater, the marriage supper of the Lamb to banquet at the Lord's table in the new heavens and the new earth always. And for now, for now, he gives us his word and he invites us to his table now. Even though this table is but a picture of the one to come, I know we don't have a table, but the Lord's Supper anticipates, it anticipates. Nevertheless, he says, come to this table now. Psalm 23, of course. Oh, it has been pointed out, of course, by many that we all long for acceptance. 
And before you uh, poo-poo that idea as a mere modern talk about self-esteem and things like that, that's, that's in many ways normal, that we all long for acceptance. The problem, of course, comes when we seek to find acceptance in the wrong way, when, because it's, again, it's normal, it's normal, but when we seek to be accepted by our peers or by whoever it is in the wrong way, in doing things that are displeasing to the Lord, because, of course, we fear others more than we fear our great God. But the ultimate question is, the ultimate question is, how can God be just and the justifier? How can God receive sinners? This is a beautiful picture of the gospel, that which Romans 3 teaches us. 2 Samuel 9, in many ways, pictures for us. And yet, it is still but a faint picture, as wonderful of a picture as it is, as King David accepts. No, no, he really accepts Mephibosheth. You will, what? You will always sit at my table as one of the king's sons. Have you been adopted into the family of God through trusting, through throwing yourself on the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, like Mephibosheth, have you done the only sane thing that a human being can do, which is bow your knee to King Jesus and say, you do what's right. If you do away with me, I don't have a reason to complain. You are just but he is just and the justifier. He is the one who shows kindness. He shows steadfast love for the sake of another, for the sake of another. Jesus Christ is the much greater Jonathan. He is your true friend. Run to your true friend. He who did not despise the cross, but gave himself up for us. He gave himself for, up for us. See the gospel. See the glory of God and his kindness and let the kindness lead you to repentance. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that in the, what we call, what we call the New Testament, we have this new and this full revelation of your righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. But thank you also that your word, that the Old Testament is Christian scripture. We thank you that it speaks to us, even indirectly and sometimes directly of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us repentance, help us to worship individually and as families and as a church, Lord, move us to worship in light of your lavish grace. Not only have you forgiven our sins, but you have counted us righteous in Christ. Oh Lord, we are blessed abundantly. May we be shaped by the gospel. Shape us by your grace, we pray, oh Lord. Amen.